0: in prayer at this time. Again, just for prayer this week, a couple of ladies that we've been praying for uh, in recent times regarding sort of uh, cancer treatment. Uh, They they begin their treatment this income week. Mrs. Hamilton goes through some procedures this week to commence her uh, her treatment. And also Mrs. Kaufman uh, has her radiotherapy beginning this week also. Please keep these ladies in prayer. And again, as we seek the Lord's uh, face over the next number of days. Let's seek God again as we come around the word. Now let's pray and ask for the God's blessing upon us. Eternal God and Father, we are again thankful for the very truth that we are the recipients of the blessings that have come from the generations that preceded us. That the word of God has come from generation to generation, that we might set our hope on God that we may not forget God, that we may be those who are diligent in pursuing righteousness and faith, that we'd be those, O Lord, who would seek to honour God in all of our ways. And so we thank you, dear Father, for the opportunity again to worship thee and come into your presence on the Lord's Day. Thank you for the Bible and the Word of God to our hearts. We thank you, dear Father, for the the benefit that it brings to our souls. And even as we pick up the Bible, we can worship and honor Thee, O God, as we would reverence the Word and seek to live according to it. In so doing, we seek to glorify You as a good and a wise God, a God that directs us in all of our affairs. And so we thank You also for, again, the blessings that are belonging to us with our families and our children we pray for our Sabbath school once more today. We pray for the generation that is to come, that they might set their hope in God. We pray again for those who are teaching, give them clarity of mind and direction in their, in the devotions that they bring to the children. I know God bless us. There are counts also today that there are quite a number who are away for various providences, some who are ill, others traveling over the weekend. We pray your hand upon our congregation. And for those who can be here today, may we know your blessing. For those watching on, may they also uh, have the benefit of hearing the voice of God in the word. And so guide us, direct us in all of our thoughts. Help us to honour thee, and we'll seek to give thee all the praise and all of the glory. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Help us to honour you. We thank you for your hand upon Mrs. Hamilton and Mrs. Kaufman in recent weeks. And we pray, O God, as they enter a new phase of treatment we pray that you'd bless them both and strengthen them again give give grace and help to those uh, superintending their care and be pleased O god to use the various treatments for their good and above that for the good of the church and the glory of god bless their families again we think of them and all of their needs and again we look to thee O god guide and direct our paths help us now as you come to consider your word bless us in jesus precious name amen amen We're coming to uh, the end of our studies on the subject of the family and the ethics of family life and today I want to look at a a particular subject which is really the church's role in the family. Does the church have a role in the living of family life? There was a a thought developed really in Dutch Calvinism known as sphere sovereignty. It's perhaps a term you haven't been i uh, familiar with it very often, but it is a, it's a helpful concept when it comes to the ethics of living in a fallen world. It has the idea that no one area of life or societal community is sovereign over another. It was in some senses a, a rejection of a state church, that the state was over the church and could uh, govern the church. It was also a recognition that Again, the states had limited impact on the family, and the family had sphere sovereignty. These are things that you're very familiar with here in the US. This idea of a separation of authority structures in the world. And there certainly are various modified forms of this. But as we saw at the beginning of our studies on this matter of Christian ethics, there are interrelations. And so whilst one sphere may not be sovereign over another, yet there is this interdependency, this interaction, this relationship that that is complex in some areas. Just think simply in the terms of Christian authority. Just use that word authority. The Bible speaks often of submission. It speaks of authority. It speaks of rule and governance. And it does so in various ways. But you might ask the question... Can the church have a role in disciplining children in the home? So could parents come to the session and the eldership and say, my my children won't eat their greens. Can you exercise discipline over them? Now, again, as I tend to do, I use the, the trivial examples to make the point. There's an understanding that there are areas of discipline that belong ordinarily in the realm of the home. Similarly, we think of the area of family life and the role, the authority of the father. The father carries authority in the home, the head of the home. And so you might say the same, well, does that mean every father carries authority in the church? Is every father an elder, in a sense, in the church? Of course, we know that's not the case. You think of the very simple qualifications of eldership in First Timothy and Titus, And again, there is the examining of the elders' home life to ensure they can rule well, with the obvious implication that there are some who don't. And therefore, they're not qualified to be elders. And so even there, there's a distinction between the church and the family. And so whilst there's overlap, yet there is distinction. You know, you think of this matter, well, what is the role of the church and the family? Let's ask that question right now, what's the role of the church, and I'm using church as a local church, particularly the teaching ministry, what role does the church have in the life of the family? Well, I've done so much talking in the past number of months, I'm going to let you answer that question for me now. Again, some of the topics in recent times were uh, definitely involved me explaining and talking a lot, so what are your thoughts, in what way does the church have a role in the family? Different ideas. We're, we're not going to look at this, okay? So don't panic. We'll, we'll pursue this going forward. Any, any thoughts off the top of your heads? Yeah. Okay. So you've got this idea of a shared ministry. Okay. We're using the same book. If you like, the Bible is the, is the rule book in the home and in the church. And so as parents teach their children the home, so that's reinforced in the church. I've even put it a different way as those parents are taught in the church, they then pass on that teaching in the home. And so there's clearly a interaction in that regard. And yet, again, there's an awareness that the church is going to be careful not to overreach and interfere in the welfare and the matters of the home. This came up actually in the course I taught last year on sort of pastoral counselling. Uh, this came up with the students, you know, how much. Uh, power does a pastor have in a home situation uh, and that, that's a difficult question to to answer I and mean, you've got to be very wise and, and careful in those regards and I can illustrate it this way I don't believe the church eldership has the right to tell you parents how you should educate your children there's going to be some understanding that's your call as parents but at the same time the pulpit will give you instruction and information to guide your decision in that regard And so as you're under the word of God, there are principles that will will certainly govern the choices you make when it comes to education. And so you see the balance there. And again, the church is not telling parents you can and can't do this, but they're given directions which then allow the parents to make informed and wise choices. So you see how there's care here. Again, there are... Yeah, I'll take a question. Yeah, George. Yes, yeah, so the church cannot administer, you mean punishment of the children in the home? Yes, yeah, so the idea of, are you talking, in, sorry, I'm just trying to clarify, are you talking in the, in the terms of problems in the family? Corporal, corporal, sorry, yeah, I thought you said, sorry, George. Yeah, so the church cannot administer corporal punishment. So the rod, if I can use that term, the, the rod in Proverbs is in the hand of the father, not the pastor. Okay, is that the way, that's the the, the issue, so there's a distinction there in discipline. And yet even there, there is this interaction, again we go back to this kind of spheres, so whilst the church eldership may not discipline corporally the child, yet if the husband commits adultery, the church must exercise discipline in that regard. And so so there, the church has to interact in the life of the family. And so you see there are principles in the word of God to govern these, these matters, any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I'll take Steve at the back is three, so go 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 to the front, Steve. Uh, along the same line, of what you're saying, I think of the verse: if the unbeliever leaves, let let him leave. So I'd assume then the believer, the church is going to Deal with the believer and say, hey, what are you doing? Yep. So the the idea of well, a whole book of 1 Corinthians, where there's instruction regarding marriage in chapter seven, is instruction given to the entire church. And so, again, you've got this idea that the, the church has a responsibility, that church leadership has a responsibility to teach people regarding God's principles for the family. And so we don't leave it off. We don't say there's nothing to say here. In a similar fashion, the church has a role to instruct the state as to how they ought to practice according to God's word. And yet we don't overreach in that regard, but there's still this. It's not silence. And the same is true for the church and the family. It's not silence. There is clear principles and instruction. George. Yeah so the difference the difference between the old and the new in terms of the, the theocracy of Israel that authority is transferred to the church uh, and then the prince of that is discipline in terms of church discipline in 1 uh, Corinthians 5 so yeah absolutely Dan. Absolutely. Well, th- turn, to, turn to Ephesians 5 and 6, please. I'm just going to notice, and then we'll, then we'll move on. But I appreciate I just wanted to get you thinking there in terms because these are things that you have probably thought about, uh, but not necessarily put into, into expression. And so we're seeing that the church certainly has a role to play in the family, although it is a role that is, that is somewhat limited in various particulars. And so you have here Ephesians chapter 5, of course. You have the instruction that we are to be filled with the Spirit, verse eighteen. And again, Paul is addressing a church corporate body here, the church in Ephesus. The desire is that be filled with the Spirit of God, and then from that comes verse number twenty-two: wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And then also verse twenty-five: husbands, love your wives. And then chapter six, verse one: children, obey your parents. And so, in the context of spiritual church life, the family dynamics are important, and that the family being a healthy family will benefit the church, and the church also, through the Apostle Paul teaching apostolic like doctrine, will give instruction to the family in these various ways. But even beyond that, beyond the idea of instruction coming, there are particular things that must be kept in mind. First of all, let's think with the issue of children, does the church have a particular role with regards to children? Can the church teach children in a particular fashion? Outside the, if you like, outside the authority of the father? Does the church have a role to play in that regard? And there are some who have questioned that over the years. And they have said the, what they would term the modern practice of Sunday school is uh, taking away from the parents... The right of teaching the children. And the fathers and the mothers. They must teach children. And the, the church is usurping that. When it would engage in, in Sabbath school instruction. So well, that sounds strange. Well it sounds strange. Because you're so used to what you've had. Here over the years. And there's been a very strong Sabbath school uh, program. In this church over the years. But I think it's worth defending it. It's worth examining again. And asking yourself the question. Is this a right practice? I've said before. Uh, that I strongly believe that our corporate worship is a family event and that as we meet together here, I don't believe we should ever at any point in time see the children being removed for the sermon. Rather, the entire worship time is for the entire family. That's very, very important. However, is Sunday school wrong? Well, Thomas Murphy in his work on pastoral theology says this, there are but very few persons probably who duly appreciate the importance of the Sabbath school work. We must fix our minds upon it, await our attention to it, measure its proportions and study it well before we can see in it anything like the greatness to which it has attained. Against man's opinion, but he's saying this has been a very influential thing in the church's experience. But why do we have Sabbath schools on the Lord's Day? Do we do it because we've always done it? Well, no, because we haven't always done it. In honesty, in terms of church history, it is a relatively new phenomenon, about 250 years old. There's evidence of the existence of some in England in the early parts of the 1700s. But the 1780s has looked at an era of the increase of the Sabbath school. And some of that developed in light of the Industrial Revolution. Because what happened then was children were working long hours in the factory. Not only were they working long hours, Saturday was also a work day. And so the Sabbath school program was established as an attempt to deliver children from a life of illiteracy. And the Bible was a textbook. And so they were taught the Bible as a textbook to develop literacy to help them going forward in the midst of all that was happening in the Industrial Revolution. But the vision caught on on both sides of the Atlantic. And one writer says this, by the mid-19th century, Sunday school attendance was a near universal aspect of childhood. Even parents who did not regularly attend church themselves generally insisted that their children go to Sabbath school. It was the old days. And I, I remember even in, in my childhood that several of the larger churches in my hometown had, had large uh, coaches, buses, and they would drive around the neighborhood and pick up the children and unbelieving parents would say to the kids, it's time for you to go to Sabbath school. You've got to be taught the Bible somewhere. That's not that many years ago. And indeed, in some of our churches, that still continues up until today. Sadly, those parents who still thought the benefit are getting fewer and fewer. Now, of course, our desire today is not to address literacy concerns. But it is certainly a desire to teach our children. And so you look at, look at 2 John please turn to second john because the history is interesting it is a relatively new thing but the question is is it appropriate this is one of those situations whereby it is not explicitly commanded again we could teach children in the corporate gathering without them being a separate sabbath school and so but is it is it an appropriate inference from the word of god Second well, John begins, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. Again, there's different thoughts regarding the elect lady here and her children. Is it an actual individual or is it a metaphor for the church? Well, Either way, you still certainly have this principle of children being involved. If it's the elect lady, well, then that is certainly, if it's referring to the church, well, then the implication is there are children in the church, not just those who are born out of the church because they become the elect lady then, but elect lady with children associated with them. And so verse number four says, I rejoice greatly that I find thy children walking in truth. And so there are those who are part of this church or part of this family and they're walking in truth. They've been instructed in the truth and taught, but they're, they're addressed particularly. Similar language in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Now I say in part, the reference of children there may well refer to, to younger people. And I say that because if you go back to 1 John chapter 2, again, the same author, in the same context, refers to different ages in the church. Verse number 12 of 1 John, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I so that's true for, for all those who know and love the Lord. But then he says, I write unto you fathers. And verse 13, I write unto you, young men. In other words, there is a recognition of the apostle that there are different sorts of people in the church and that they all must be addressed in different ways. And it may well be the case that the children in the church had to know the assurance that their sins were forgiven because they were dealing with adolescence, they were dealing with youthfulness, and uh, they were guilty of so many things that were against the law of God And so now you're giving the apostle this encouragement. For Christ's sake, even the children's sins can be forgiven. Perhaps that's the meaning here. But you certainly have this idea of a distinction between different groups. And the apostle being prepared to address people particularly in their own context. And so I think it is appropriate at times for the church to address particular groups in particular fashions. I think of our youth camp. We, we bring our young people away for our youth camp in the summertime. And part of what we've done in recent years is that we divided the boys and the girls for morning devotions. And so they have an hour. Uh, Mrs. Mooney takes the girls for an hour. I've taken the boys for an hour. And it's allowed us to deal with issues that are particularly relevant to the people in front of us without the difficulty of the girls alongside them. And we can have those conversations that I think are beneficial to them in their young adult lives. It's also, I think, wise that there are times on the Lord's Day that our youngest of children are addressed very directly in a manner that's appropriate to their understanding. Now I try, I don't succeed very often, but I try uh, various times in the sermons to address the young people and the children. And again, that's an important part of, of the ministry. But surely it's not wrong uh, again, for those appointed uh, by the church oversight uh, to say, "Well, please teach your children in a manner appropriate to them." In the similar fashion, you ladies will meet on Saturday morning, and you meet in a way that encourages your fellowship and prayer, uh, and things can be discussed in, that are particularly relevant in your own context. And so, I think that we do have a responsibility alongside the family, not against the family, not overreaching the family, but with responsibility to work with the family. And I exhort all of you, please pray for our Sabbath school. Pray much for our Sabbath school. And if there are those perhaps in your neighbourhood and your young children, and they'd be willing to come along to church for Sabbath school, bring them with you and see children taught. That was the vision, of course, of Moody. Uh, Moody had his issues and things theologically uh, but when God touched his heart, he saw the benefit of Sabbath school instruction. And he went out to the communities and sought to bring children under the sound of the word on the Lord's Day. And whilst their parents neglected it, the children came to know and love the Lord. One of my close friends some years ago was converted because his children attended the Sabbath school. They were converted. They came back to the parents. He felt guilty for not going to church. He came to church, was saved by God's grace. God is able through the mouths of babes, to teach the unbelieving adults around us. So pray for that. Take that upon your heart that you pray for the benefit and the work of God in the Sabbath school. Any comments on that before I move on to the other section? No. No opposition to that. Good. Seniors. I never know what to call seniors. It's one of these situations. When I was growing up, they were known as pensioners. Because uh, they, 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 they were pensionable age. Uh, and that's what they're often called in the church. Others call them the elderly. I don't want to offend anybody. You know, language is so offensive these days. use the wrong term and you call people offence. I'm not trying to offend anybody. Nor am I putting an age on what makes somebody a senior uh, as opposed to being a junior or somewhere in the middle. You get the point though, don't you? We have a responsibility towards seniors in, in our congregation. Some that's not often taught on, not often acknowledged, but there are particular things that are addressed in the word of God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, and this is the issue of respect. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul, again, is addressing Timothy here as a, as a pastor. And as he deals with the pastor, he addresses the issue of age. Rebuke not an elder... But entreats him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, and the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters, with all purity. And so you, you see immediately there that there is there's a conscious awareness that age actually has an impact on how we deal with each other. Timothy's a younger man; we know that. He's, you know, Paul tells him, "Don't let people look down upon you for your youth." He perhaps is under forty. At this time, and so Paul tells Timothy, when you're addressing elders, be careful you treat them with respect. Respect is sorely lacking in our modern society, in so many different areas, and there is this importance again of teaching our young people that elders they have so much experience, they have been through life before us, and they are worthy of our honour and our respect. That is lacking today, isn't it? Young people, one of the sins of youth is this idea that we will do better and know better than our, than our previous generation. It's always the case, isn't it? I'm going to parent my children better than my parents parented me. And as for church life, those old fuddy-duddy elders, they made such a disaster of it, we're going to do a better job with church life. And what happens in reality? The opposite. generally, Uh, proud spirit things are done in a way that turns away from the old paths the bible values the importance of generational knowledge that god teaches people and you actually do learn things as you live doesn't mean that young people can't be wise nor does it mean that older people are wise that's not the case we know that all too well in this nation and so the respect involved here is not a respect that is blind to biblical wisdom. But in the church context is the reality that those who know the Lord and walk with God, they are worthy of our respect and our honour. We should keep that in mind. Enough said. They are also a resource in the church that must be highly valued. You take Titus chapter 2, just one example. Of course, there is the implication with regards to men that elders in the church will not be novices, and they'll at least be somewhat older. Again, Timothy's an elder, functions as an elder in the church. He's a young man, uh, likely under 40. And so I'm not saying you have to be over 60 to be an elder in terms of office in the church. But there is the recognition that they are not immature. They are above reproach. They have proven themselves in life. They're not a novice. And so with regards to the men, there's the understanding, yes, that there are those who show maturity. In the church. But here for ladies, you have instruction, clear instruction to the aged woman, verse number two. And there are various adjectives used for women in the Bible silly woman, and aged woman, and different terms that are used for the, for the ladies in the church, and they all need to be understood properly. But this one's easy. For the aged men, verse number two be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Now, those are attributes. That are important for the benefit of the church. We said last Lord's Day morning the importance of a serious ministry. And so you, you really want men in your church who are sober, self controlled, sound in faith. These are men who will pray, these are men who will know what it is to walk with God and guide us around them. In a similar fashion, in the aged woman, verse number three, well they are to be in behaviour becoming holiness. And the resources mentioned, verse number 4, explicitly here, it's assumed in verse 2, it's explicit in verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. So you get the extended exhortation there down to verse number 5. But what I'm saying here is, we must not neglect the benefit of those who have walked with God and are able to then teach the younger generation the things pertaining to godliness and righteousness. That involves a commitment on behalf of those of you who are, pick your word, you're in that category. Have you decided that your useful service is over in the church? That you get to the point, well, I've, I've done what I can do and I have nothing more to give. Nothing could be further from the truth. There is the ongoing necessity that you give yourselves for the people around you in the life of the church speaking to those who are younger and encouraging them, exhorting them, praying with them, and seeking to lead them on in the paths of righteousness. The modern term is discipleship. But it is the idea of the older caring for the younger and seeking to lead them on and encourage them in the things of Christ. same is true for younger men under the tutelage of older men. In all of this, It is using the resource that God has given us of true godly Christian experience that is not to be despised. And those of us who find ourselves in the younger category, we must be humble enough to listen to the counsel and the direction that comes from older folks around us. Again, not, you examine everything. Is it according to scripture? Is it according to the word of God? You examine the things according to scripture, but at the same point you must have a humble spirit willing to take counsel and exhortation from others. Thirdly, finally, there is the issue of responsibility. And here, this is very explicitly taught in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And here, this is why I wanted to to, to finish with this today. We're looking at the subject, does the church have a function to play with regards to the family? Is there a role for the church in the welfare of the family? And 1 Timothy 5 Timothy is told to make sure that the church performs its family responsibilities. Yes, you see the correction. Verse number 5, Timothy's encouraged, or verse 1, chapter 5, Timothy's encouraged to correct the elders who may be out of line. They need to be entreated, not rebuked. They need to be encouraged in that regard. And then verse 3 and following, there is this issue of honoring widows that are widows indeed. What's that all about? Well, what you see in this passage is the necessity of vulnerable seniors first and foremost being cared for in their own family. That the primary responsibility for the care of seniors exists within the home. Verse 4, if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home. And to requite their parents. For that is good. And accept before God. This is part of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. That does not stop when you leave the home. And there was the necessity again. Of of these younger people. Caring for the vulnerable widows. in In their own home. Verse number eight says this. But if any provide not for his own. Especially those of his own house. He hath denied the faith. And is worse than an infidel. And that. Explicitly in the context, refers to householders providing for the financial and material needs of those who are vulnerable in society, namely the widows. And so is the necessity, again, of households taking this matter seriously. Verse 16 also, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Now, I'm not going to go through the qualifications of what made somebody a widow indeed, but there are various ones set out. They couldn't be young. They had to be godly. There was, if you like, a, there was a list, a catalogue is the word that is used. There's a, a word, number is the idea here. There's a number of these widows. And they are those who are supported and cared for by the church. Now, this responsibility has been largely taken from the church by an overreaching state. That has sought to, well, help, but the help that was given was because the church was not fulfilling its function as it ought to have fulfilled it. And so we've got to look at this and say, well, how do we address this in our own day? Well, the application of this is not easy, but the principle is clear. The church has a solemn responsibility to care for those who are vulnerable as seniors in our church fellowship. So these are important things to consider. Does the church have a role in the family? The obvious answer is yes. I know this is a somewhat niche subject, but it puts the capsule, if you like, on the subject of family ethics for our studies at this time. And I think it's important to recognize some of these things. They're often neglected and ignored, but may God help us to treasure and to preserve the well-being of all those under our church family, from the youngest to the oldest. Peter is told, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. A distinction is given there regarding the necessity of the church to care for those under its oversight. Any final comments or, or questions? In a couple. I'll take Stizzy first. Yeah, so just again, for those who are watching and listening, the question was, well, what if you're an unbelieving family with a widow that's in need? But the widow's a believer, part of the church, the church of responsibility to care for? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, if there are ways. and Again, you you go back to Acts chapter 6. This principle of caring for the seniors was the principle that set apart men for probably the first diaconate. That there were those, and we so often think of deacons in terms of their responsibility for, for lighting and heating and making sure the church is in order and fixed and all the rest, and that's a very important role. But they have financial responsibilities. They have to administer the church finances in such a way that the money is being used wisely for the benefit of those in the church. So the application, I'm not sure how it would all apply. It, it, you would need a particular situation to see how, how it would apply, but the principle is there. You no. Problem. no, let's let's sit there because our time is gone. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, Dan and then Jim. I just want to make a comment. So in my experience lately, the problem is God. Um, talking to like, like, you know, they don't have family and stuff like that. And just just what, I, what I realized is, and I think we should think about this, we got it in black and white in the Bible. But sometimes experientially, we need to really see this that we are, we are, yeah, um, our, 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 for example, my, my family is not safe, mm. but we, we, we truly we have to act that way. And I, one of the things I want to thank you for is that this church did the dinner that we have, Um, Alice enjoys that from time to time, and I think it's very important that Yes, you know, Dan's making the point. This will, I, I couldn't say uh, any more, Dan, in terms of the amen to that. Our earthly families are fractured because Christ comes and brings a sword at times, dividing father and mother and parent and child, and you see this division. And so for all eternity, the family of God is our everlasting family. And we picture that on earth and that's just true in prayer and support, but also in these practical things, trying to encourage and support each other in the house of God, in the house of God here. Amen. Jim? Yeah. It's similar to what Dan commented there. Um, they say accountability. You know, the church's role, I'm accountable to the congregation, they're accountable to me. We support one another in prayer, and I think it's important that uh, you know when we meet together in person... Uh, you know it's it, there's that accountability there and it just uh it, it encourages we encourage one another in that way in our faith you know and, and that we can go on when we're not here and uh, to, to, to live better and accountable to uh the brethren you know amen uh, uh, i think that's uh, that's a very important role uh of the church uh you know, that, that we're accountable to one another as, as families as individuals as members and things yeah so this idea of corporate accountability and that shared mutual accountability that we look out for each other we care for each other if someone's missing you all oh, wonder are they okay what's going on here not big pride and personal affairs but there is a recognition we want to encourage each other in love and good works and again you uh, you're we're same generation we've grown up in an idea that church is somewhere you go to and you go and do something in church but really of course a church is something we are we are the people who are called out by God's grace into a corporate family uh, to support and nurture each other in the things of the Lord. and That involves, we've got to put up with each other at times and be patient with each other and encourage each other. All of that is part of family life, but we do serve so the glory of Christ's name. Well, let's pray, amen, and uh, let's pray and ask for God's help again in our church life that we would know uh, the blessing of God to be upon us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Church, that you've given us here, you've brought us together from various places, backgrounds, and we pray, O oh God, that you'd help us to, again, to love one another more and more, that we would, again, take upon ourselves the responsibility for the children among us, that we pray for them, care for them, seek to teach and nurture them, and that we'd also be very mindful of those of our seniors, many of whom no longer can attend uh, the church in, 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 in person. Help us to watch out for them and to care for them. And again, to encourage them with a a phone call or a letter, whatever it may be, that we can can benefit each other and seek to encourage the saints of God. So bless us now. Thank you for this time this morning. Help us to come together to worship your name. May we give you all the praise and all the glory as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.